Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. And really appreciate you just taking the time to do something for yourself and to really understand what is going on in your own life. And that means that we are going to talk about emotions. And I want you to think about how many times we have talked about emotions and feelings and how compelling, absolutely compelling they are. And they're hard to resist. They're also hard to not believe. And I've worked years and years and years on myself and with others helping them not to believe everything they feel as if it's true. So that also brings us to this different way of thinking about emotions. And emotions are created with adrenaline, and adrenaline is probably and still is the most powerful chemical we have. And so emotions, when they are driven by adrenaline, are very compelling. And if you've heard me talk about the brain before, we know that on the right side of our brain, that is where the amygdala lies. That's the fight, flight, or freeze. And this is what happens when we are imbibing in too much emotionality. What happens? Well, maybe we get an emotional hangover. So I want you to think about this, that there are certain relationships in your life that might frequently push you to the edge and leave you feeling resentful or maybe even result in shouting matches, right? And maybe you experience this with a parent, maybe experience it with spouse. How about kids, right? Friends, neighbors, and even strangers. So I want you to think about road rage. If you've ever been involved in that, experienced it, or done it, you know how compelling it can be that you are going to take that person down. You are going to teach them a lesson, right? How dare they drive like that? And so what happens is now we are in this emotional state and we have now lost the ability to use the left side of our brain, which is where we have logic. There is no feelings on the left side of our brain. That's kind of Spock, right, in Star Trek. 
And so when we are in the right side, where all we have are feelings and adrenaline, and we are not connecting to the left side, which is logic, we are not going to make good choices. And so think about that, how certain relationships can kind of push you to the edge. And you walk away from it saying, I cannot believe I acted like that. I can't believe I talked like that. Did I don't swear and I can't believe I use those swear words. That's not me. So we want to think about this idea about how emotions affect our choices. And many times we've had enough good experiences that we start to believe that maybe we can believe our feelings. Well, I think we can believe our feelings some of the time. And they're a God-given gift. But I don't think we can believe our feelings all the time. So I want you to think about this idea of going nuclear. And we've talked about this before. And this is part of the book that I have written called Wars to Peace, Keeping Relationships from Going Nuclear. So when we think about that, it creates this idea of DEFCON. And that's the framework by which we can assess our emotions and become more selective about our responses to difficult situations. So the DEFCON principle obviously is military, and they came up with it. And what they did was they were using it to determine what level of threat the country was at. So they didn't want to go to one and go nuclear, you know, on some country or, or city or whatever. They wanted to make sure that if they went nuclear, if they went to one, DEFCON 1, that that meant it was no coming back. See, I'm sure that you can think about times where you have really imbibed in your emotions, really imbibed in that adrenaline, and you say things, you do things that you can't take back. And you're embarrassed, or you want to blame other people. Well, they deserved it, right? Maybe it's happened at a restaurant for you. Maybe it's been in a family situation. What if you did it at work? right? You went nuclear on somebody. So this is where we end up getting a tremendous amount of shame if we don't handle our emotions well. We end up having to make excuses. We want to be defensive. We want to explain or we want to minimize it. We want to say, ah, it wasn't that big of a deal. You're making more out of it than it was where everybody was like running for their office to get away because they were so scared. So If you're thinking about this idea of DEFCON, now you know this is a military term, and you've heard me talk about this before, that you have to remind yourself that it's a countdown. So five, that's a, you know, state of peace. Everything's pretty copacetic. We're okay. Then it moves to four, and four means, hmm, I'm kind of on alert. Three means I'm kind of maybe locked and loaded, I'm seeing if I need to run out the door. I'm seeing if I can reason with these people, if I can reason with myself. I'm thinking, hey, maybe I could try to calm everyone down. Then we get to two, and two is a really important piece of DEFCON because that's where the choice always lies. If I don't take care of what got me to two, 
If I don't, if I'm not aware of how much I'm escalating inside and I find myself at two, the only option I have is to figure out how to calm down, figure out how to do it differently, or I'm going to go nuclear on the person. And by the time I go nuclear on somebody, I really don't care what's going on. I'm just going to come out of it alive. I'm going to teach this person a lesson. They're going to know not to mess with me. And we can't take it back. We cannot take back DEFCON 1. So at 2, this is where we might want to <clears throat> excuse me, say to ourselves, I need to go walk around the building. I need to go splash cold water on my face. <clears throat> excuse me. I need to, whatever it may be that helps you get back into present time so that you are really in present time. And you're saying, hey, I can wait. And remember, we've talked so much about the blood, broken bones, nobody's breathing, fire. Okay, this is always DEFCON 1. We have no choice here. If those things are going on, we have to act immediately. And a lot of times, it's not very pretty. So you want to think about that. Blood, if someone's bleeding, if somebody's got a broken bone, if there's fire... Or if someone's not breathing, see, oxygen, we have to do something immediately. Everything else can wait. And that's hard for all of us. When we are, you know, primed with adrenaline, and now it starts pumping through all of our veins and our brain, it's really hard <clears throat> to actually discount it. It's really hard to just hope it goes away, or to push it down, swallow it, right? And so this is why it's so amazing when you find out that, wow, I have a countdown. I need to know if I'm at five. Five, you know, I'm scopacetic. I can handle pretty much anything, even people that are bugging me. Well, if I get to four, and then I'm at three, and I'm trying to hold it all in, trying to control myself, I get to two, and I'm trying to decide now what I'm going to do. See, that's many times too late. If I wait till I'm at two, it's really hard to crawl down that hill. It's really hard to walk away from that because I'm now engaged, and it's now creating other feelings inside of me. My brain is now talking a lot to me, and it's usually using judgments because it's going to be on my side. So it says, you don't need to take that. that. That's unprecedented. That's unrealistic. That's mean. That's nasty. Whatever it is that's going on. See, your brain is always going to take care of you. And when we get to one, it is an all-out war. And if you've ever gone to nuclear on yourself, okay, we have people that have done that. They've almost suicided. Maybe we caught them en enough in time that we were able to bring them back and then get them the help that they needed. But when we go to really DEFCON 1, that is obliteration. So we have to be really careful about that. So if we look at relational DEFCON and we think about these five and four levels, <clears throat> as being the most relaxed part. 
And this is, the five and four is a relatively neutral state of being. But as our threat levels rise and the chance to fall into conflict while that grows, we might find ourselves at level one without even realizing we got there. And this is where you see someone take a swing at somebody. Someone starts, you know, yelling and screaming in the restaurant, swearing, throwing glasses, right? This is where we recognize that, wow, what happened? How did we get there? So the reason that this is so important is that I want you to understand that the big thing we're going to talk about is imbibing on your own emotions. And how many of you have been drunk on your own feelings? So this is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about imbibing in your own emotions. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me today and telling your friends about the show. I really appreciate that because this is one of the ways that we can collectively change the environment that we live in, which is one many times of deception, lying, stealing, you know, anger, uh, all kinds of yucky things that, that we have to endure and we have to feel. And so when we really work on being our own change agent, then everywhere we go, we affect a change in people. Now, it may not always last because it's their choice to integrate it, but we really can affect our environment just by being the person that we're supposed to be the person that we can be <clears throat> proud of. And so this is what I want you to think about. When we were talking in that first segment about imbibing in your own emotions, and we really talked about emotional DEFCON and how we get down to one, which is nuclear. And when we go nuclear on someone emotionally, and I know you've done that, I've done that, and it's hard to come back from that. It's hard to heal from that. And I've had many relationships in my office. I've had individuals as well that say, you know, maybe it was just a bad day for them or I understand, but I can't come back from that. How they, how they went off on me, I can't come back from that. So we have to think about this, that, you know, that adrenaline that I was talking about in the first segment is a very powerful chemical very powerful. And if we don't know how to deal with it, if we're not even aware that it's now surging through our veins, and we are going to somehow have to be decent when we feel like we're going to, you know, take off like a rocket, <clears throat> that, then what we're going to need to do is we're going to need to recognize it. Wow. The way that I can really manage this is oxygen, because oxygen absorbs adrenaline. Now, you know what happens when we get our feelings hurt? We hold our breath. <laughs> Everybody does. Stiffens, holds their breath. And then guess what? Now we have even more adrenaline flowing through our body, which is even harder to manage. So what we have to think about is, am I regularly imbibing in my own emotions? 
Think about that. It's the same thing as if you were interacting with an alcoholic that was constantly under the influence. Well, if I believe all my emotions, if I believe whatever feeling I'm having and think it's true, that's similar to a drunk person that's under the influence of alcohol. And we want them to sober up so that we can at least talk to them. Well, that's what this is about. We want to be able to say, hey, I I have to sober up. Right now, I am so influenced by my emotions, I cannot talk to you. I am going to go off on you. I'm going to break something, whatever it is. So I need to relax my body, breathe deeply, so that I can come back to the prefrontal lobe of my brain, which is the adult part of my brain. That's the part of me that says, you know, this is not the hill you want to die on. Yeah, it may be a little embarrassing. You may have to eat some crow, but it's better off if you just kind of walk away. Just ignore it. Walk away. And so when we have enough oxygen and we are now in the prefrontal lobe or the left side, which is logic, we will make much better decisions. If we just fall into all of our emotions, swim around in them, and then start to tell ourselves why that feeling is correct. It's, it's like, you know, pouring more alcohol down someone's throat that's already drunk. So I want you to think about why this would be so important for us. When we are absolutely, you know, this crazy thing of being drunk on our own emotions, well, have you ever tried to talk to a drunk person, right? Have you ever tried to reason with them? Well, it's nearly impossible. And so you just say to yourself, man, I just gotta get, they just got to sober up before I can talk to them. I can't even talk to them when they're in this state. So when we realize this, that's when it's important for us to say, I need a time out. I really do need a time out because I'm not going to handle myself well. And so I need to make sure that I can manage what's going on inside of me. And that means I need to breathe. It means I need to relax my muscles. It means that I need to walk away so that I can get a hold of myself. And if I am drinking, then I might need to say, you know, I better go home. Somebody better call me an Uber. So think about this. Have you ever tried to talk to a drunk person? Or even more challenging, have you ever tried to reason or problem solve with a drunk person? Well, if we're not careful, we can allow the the beneficial aspects of the amygdala, that passion, that emotion, and all those wonderful right brain experiences that we get will impair us. And we can be overrun by the amygdala. And in a sense, we get drunk. We're drunk on our own emotions. And many of us imbibe in that. And what does that mean? Well, if someone gets drunk, if they give them time to sober up, they get back into their right mind. But if we're imbibing in our emotions regularly, then guess what? We start believing them. The more we believe them, the bigger the emotion gets. And it makes it harder to, you know, crawl down out of that proverbial tree and say, you know, I think I made a mountain out of a molehill. I think I screwed up. 
And so what happens if we are not understanding what's going on in our own body, in our own mind, then we may have a lot of regrets and we may have some things that aren't even fixable. So when you get overrun by the amygdala and all of that adrenaline, it's like being drunk on your own emotions. And so, you know, maybe you've experienced the, the following physical sensations in your body. You know, your heart beats faster, your stomach drops, your brain locks up. You think you, you, you can't think, you feel dizzy. Maybe your chest tightens. Your breathing becomes really shallow and the blood is flowing to all your extremities. And so these reflexive physiological functions begin to take over. And the amygdala then continues to fire really goading you on to like, man, you got to take that person down. This is where we throw things. We yell things we never dreamed we would. We slam doors. We jump in our car and drive off with wheels, you know, tires squealing. And so you have to understand that if your life is being threatened, you will truly appreciate the automatic responses. However, at times your amygdala may fire even when your physical life is not being threatened. But your amygdala, when it perceives a threat, which is, I'm not being liked, I'm not being respected, somebody doesn't love me, someone's making fun of me, see, that to your brain is an attack. And so you are going to become overwhelmed with adrenaline in order to manage all of those feelings. And so I don't want you to be drunk or get drunk on your own emotions. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk a lot about where do those emotions come from anyways. Good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. We are talking about this idea of not being drunk on your own emotions, or don't imbibe in your own emotions. And so this is part of, um, this is part of the book that I have finally completed. It's Wars to Peace, and it should be coming out in a couple of weeks, maybe next week. And on Amazon. And so I really encourage you all to really get a hold of the copy. It's, it's very revolutionizing and it really helps you understand the human condition. And it's really in, called the human manual because it's all about humans and it's really understanding yourself and then you have a better ability to understand others. So we were talking about this idea of imbibing in your own emotions, being drunk on your own emotions. And I'm sure you know what I mean when I say this. I have felt that way before as well. This is where you start crying and you can't stop crying. You start hyperventilating and you're crying and your eyes are now almost completely shut because they're so swollen, right? You can hardly talk because you've been crying so hard or you've broken things, you've thrown things, You've called somebody when you shouldn't have, you know, you've raced out into and got in your car and ended up getting pulled over, all these kinds of things that happen. And we get frustrated because we want our emotions to be on our side. Well, they are, 
But you have to remind yourself that emotions are very different than thoughts. See, a thought is an idea. An emotion is an experience. So what do you think is more compelling? An experience, right? Or a thought? So this is where we frequently hear people use words like emotion and feeling interchangeably. However, it is more complicated than that. See, although there are differences, the experience is similar. So the primary emphasis that we're going to talk about that I want you to become familiar with is being very accepting. And the more effective you will be at managing both your feelings and your emotions. See, it's all about management. So emotions, that is, is all about adrenaline and the way your body is experiencing something versus really having an experience that you want to be taken care of. So it's all about management. So the way in which emotions and feelings occur is a complicated process, but your brain receives information from various sources, which then creates feelings and or emotions primarily composed of hormones. Now, hormones are some of the most powerful of all chemicals. If you know anyone that is using hormone therapy, if you know of anyone that is an athlete or that is wanting to do hormone therapy, see what we have, think about this, the level and the strength of sex hormones that is produced in adolescence is what is seared into those teenage memories into your brain. This is why you can recall all kinds of high school issues you know, all the friends of your high school <laughs> friends, phone numbers you might recall, all the words to a song you haven't heard maybe in 35 years. But trying to remember the last email password is seemingly impossible. See, that's what adrenaline does. It sears in the memory of whatever it is you're experiencing. So these very powerful chemicals are also responsible for erasing memory. Think about this. The amount of trauma a woman's body and mind endures through childbirth, even in the 21st century. See, getting pregnant and delivering a baby is still one of the most physically dangerous endeavors a woman could ever undertake. So this would typically require years of trauma work, right, <laughs> with a therapist. But thankfully, as soon as that baby is born, what happens to the mommy? She receives a wash of hormones called oxytocin. This is an amnesic effect. And so we're just minutes earlier, she's maybe screaming at her partner saying, I will never do this again. I hate you, right? As soon as she gets that wash of oxytocin, she feels calm and serene. And she goes, oh, I hope we have more children in the future, right? So there's varying opinions as to what constitutes a feeling versus an emotion and how each is created. Now, in general, feelings are considered to be a chemical response to an external stimuli, and it will dissipate when the external stimulus is no longer present. But a feeling can only occur because of external contributors. Emotions, however, are produced by more than just what's external. Emotions are formed from our experiences, our thoughts, our memories, our feelings, and emotions can linger and last a lifetime. Internal or external factors, a thought or a memory, a song or a smell, 
can trigger a very strong emotion. Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join us in the last segment as we continue to talk about what it means to be drunk on your own emotions. Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. So thank you, as always, for joining in and listening and, and really telling your friends about the show and all the things that we have on, on the website and in social media. I have some great helpers that help me put this stuff out for you guys. And so it, I really want you to take advantage of all that we have um, online and certainly visit the website as well. We have books that are available for free. We have study guides that you can use that correspond with the shows that are, that are being done. All of this to really help you be the best version of you. And that's where all of this actually started for me, is when God talked to me about being my own best version. And not the version that somebody else wants me to be, or not the version I think I should be, or could be, or would be, or ought to be, but actually being the best version of me. And it has helped me tremendously throughout the years to really focus on that real defining point of how far away I might be getting from who I really am, and I need to come back to the original version of me. And so that's a lot of what these shows are about. And this latest book that I just wrote, Wars to Peace, When Relationships Go Nuclear, it is the human manual, is really for us to recognize the intricacies, the uniqueness of our own identity, that we are a one-time occurring person. Nobody can mess up as badly as I can. (laughs) Nobody can succeed as well as I can because it's my own individual fingerprint. So we're talking about this idea of imbibing on your own emotions and getting drunk on your own emotions, which is, uh, our, you know, the, the chemicals that occur inside of our body, adrenaline especially, is one of the most powerful chemicals on earth. And so we have it in us, in our brain, getting ready to be excreted into all of our extremities if we're in trouble. So there's varying opinions, right, when we talked about this last, about a feeling versus an emotion. And what I really want you to understand is that a feeling is a chemical reaction. So your brain perceives something, and then the chemicals like adrenaline especially, maybe oxytocin, are, are excreted to match the, the situation that you're in. So this is why we get confused. Like if, if all of a sudden we're with someone and we think they're a safe person and then they start doing really unsafe things and we think to ourselves, what's going on? Why is this person acting like this? I'm kind of getting scared of this person. And then the person turns around and says, oh, you're being a baby. What's wrong with you? I'm not doing anything weird. I'm not doing anything out of of the norm, norm when we know that that's not true. So what happens is then we're going to get a rush of adrenaline because this is going to stir up some fear. And when that happens, our brain takes that as truth and decides that we are in danger. And it starts to make a plan 
to give to our body so as to making sure that we live through that experience. So let's think about this. Feelings, again, are a chemical response, but emotions are produced by more than just what's external. Emotions are formed from our experiences, our thoughts, our memories, our feelings, our identity. And so the emotions is what we attach to the experience. It's how we interpret the experience. So this interpretation is further compounded by your gender, your temperament, your unique identity, and the culture you live in. If you've you know, gone to any other city, if you've gone to other countries, one of the most interesting things is you find out that some things that upset them really badly don't bother you at all. And things that might really bother you, they ignore completely. And so this is what happens when we are understanding more of our emotions. So if you've already had a negative experience maybe with your boss, then you're most likely walking in tense and defaulting to feelings evoked from a previous emotional experience. And what we call that is it's like you're already locked and loaded. You've already decided what's going to be happening until you're bracing yourself. So we need to really ask ourselves, hey, what's really, let me give this, this, this particular opportunity a chance. Instead of determining what I think is going to happen, like she's going to fire me, so I'm already walking in tents, what happens is I might find out that she wants to give me a raise. And all of a sudden I get that weird experience of, oh, really? We don't know how to react because we're locked and loaded to take on something negative. So think about the intensity that you feel when you have these feelings. So when we use the term feelings, that is an, from an external stimulus that triggers the amygdala. And it may or may not trigger necessarily an emotion. So when you think about this idea of an adrenaline rush, it's similar to somebody shooting heroin. It's similar to, you know, snorting um, oxytocin. I mean, not oxytocin, it, like any kind of speed. And so you want to think about that when an emotional argument ensues, the amygdala perceives it as danger because it has memorized that emotional arguments are not necessarily safe. It's drawing on your history. So there's several ways that your body reacts to adrenaline. A wash of adrenaline increases your strength, causing you to be more committed to a fight. You're now determined to win at all costs because winning the argument is perceived as surviving danger. Adrenaline also causes tunnel vision. So if you grew up in a family with emotional violence or physical violence, your parents or caregivers may have fought in front of you without noticing your presence. When a couple begins to argue at a restaurant or a dinner, as those emotions start escalating, adrenaline creates a vacuum. All of a sudden, they're not even thinking about the people in the restaurant or even thinking about the people at their table. They now have that tunnel vision. The second quote-unquote benefit of adrenaline is numbness or lessened feelings of pain. So isn't that interesting? See, adrenaline protects your body, significantly decreasing your experience of physical pain. See, if you're in a fight for your life, this is a great benefit. 
because you don't get distracted by your body. You are wanting to live and survive the moment. So this is why people in an emotional argument will continue going back for another hit. They can't seem to walk away. I say to clients frequently, walk away. Take a time out. And, when, and they're fully sure that they're going to do it next time. But they come back to my office and they say, I did not walk away. I kept going. And so professional athletes oftentimes have no idea of the significance of their injuries until the game is over. Same with uh, any soldiers that, we, that have to contend with battle. And so the adrenaline also compels us to fight to the bitter end to win. Because you see, the win is survival. If I don't win, maybe I'll be dead. Now, our, our brains and bodies don't recognize that we're necessarily in the 21st century. And so it's going to do what it needs to do to make sure you survive. It's not thinking about the external world that you are participating in. And so the amygdala is committed to seeing the other person cave by overpowering them or pretending to take the high road and walking away. All these different ways that we want to make sure that we walk away from this alive. Now see, the irony here is that nobody really wins. It's just survival. And if you noticed our environment now these days, our cities, our towns, um, we are far more active in our survival tendencies. You know, I remember when I was growing up, it was a lot more peaceful. People were a lot uh, more polite, like they let you in if you needed to, you know, you're in the car and they let you into the lane. People opened doors for people. You know, people said niceties like, hey, good day, have a nice day, how are you, thank you, please. All of these kinds of words that settle down the amygdala. See, if we just practiced courtesy, you'd be amazed at how much better everybody feels. So adrenaline rush, that adrenaline rush causes your heart to rise, your heart rate to rise, your blood pressure goes up. And so even if you're not running or jumping or even physically fighting, your body looks for another way to process that excessive amount of adrenaline. So as a result, it might force you into hyperventilating or other kind of expressions physically or crying. And we know we've done shows on tears and how very unique each tear is. And so when you are considering, hey, how am I going to manage this? This person's drunk on their own emotions. They've crossed a line. And, and I can't reason with them. And they're maybe not even safe. They're going to say things or do things they're going to really regret because they're so angry or they're so afraid. So when you think about this, I want you to understand that tears are our most primal language. And they're the evidence of our inner life overflowing its boundaries, spilling over into consciousness. Wordless responses. See, they release us to the possibility of realignment, of reunion. They give us a catharsis. That shedding of tears is like shedding old skin. And a transitory moment 
can be personally revolutionizing, can be a turning point. And each of those tears carry a microcosm of the collective human experience. It's amazing. It's like one drop in the ocean. So this is why we need to let ourselves cry. It clears the system. It heals the body. It releases all kinds of differing chemicals. So crying and tearing are the most primal and necessary for our physical body. That and air. Both water and air are imperative for any mammal to be able to survive. So resisting crying <clears throat> is going to really make it a lot harder, and you're going to have a much more difficult time getting over the pain. So I want you to consider this idea of allowing adrenaline to be guiding you so that I don't want you drunk on your own feelings, imbibing on your own emotions to the point that you have too many regrets, that you harm yourself, that you harm another person. So I want you to be thinking about this idea of imbibing in my own emotions. And I want you to be better able to manage whatever negative experience occurs. So I like to think of, now this maybe I hope you find this as funny. I like to think of my amygdala as the bartender in my brain, okay? <laughs> He's serving me adrenaline cocktails every time my brain perceives danger and beginning to mix the drink when I sense anything negative. See, the cocktail is on the bar ready for me to drink. But I choose whether or not I continue sitting at the bar imbibing in adrenaline. The more adrenaline I consume, the more threatening and offensive the world will appear. This is why when we think about, you know, we have military and they come home from a really, really difficult war. They have a very hard time not perceiving danger everywhere. They have to relearn what it is to just be in the common world, to just be in neighborhoods. So this is imperative for you if you want to be able to control yourself, feel good about yourself, proud of yourself, and have the, um, the relationships that you really deserve. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you. Talk to you next week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please Take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version. <music>